Hello, and welcome to the Sensibly Speaking podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large. Uh, this week, coming at you on location from Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, where I am here at Paganicon, uh, doing a little speaking engagement uh, to talk to uh, some pagan groups here about cults and cultic influences and behavior and how to avoid that sort of thing. And while I'm here, uh, Penny Michel is my special guest for this week's episode. Now, Penny and I have known each other for a while. Uh, her late husband, Brian, was somebody that I worked on while I was here in Twin Cities years ago when I was in the Sea Org to try to get him back into the Church of Scientology and get him doing courses and doing auditing and doing Scientology services. He was one of many, many people that I reached out to and tried to work with and did work with uh, while I was here. Um, I was somewhat successful at that off and on. Um, Brian had various financial issues and personal issues. He, in fact, was an example of a Scientologist who was very dedicated, very, very true believer in it. Really super, super nice guy. You really could never have met a nicer guy than Brian. But in his past, he had had electric shock. Uh, therapy. And so he was an illegal PC, according to the Church of Scientology. They would not allow him to get Scientology counseling or auditing, as they call it. And so my work with him was hampered to that degree that I couldn't get him certain services. And he was also, you know, had various uh, personal issues and that sort of thing that we were always working on. So I was working on getting him onto courses and things like that. But after I left Scientology, he actually, near the end of my leaving Scientology, Brian and Penny hooked up and got married. And she's never been a Scientologist. No, never, <laughs> never, no. And so after I got out and started speaking out against it, Penny and I, she reached out to me, and we started, I started trying to assist her to get Brian out of Scientology, which is kind of a whole story and one that I thought we might talk about here today and what ended up happening with Brian um, and what's happening now. So right. Right. here we go. Right. Here so, we go. <laughs> and welcome to my show, Penny. Well, thanks, Chris. <laughs> it's, it's really fun to be here. Um, so when we met, you were, what, about a year before you were getting out? Yeah, yeah. at the opening of the Twin Cities. Right, church. right. I think we had shaken hands briefly before that, but yes, yeah. at the opening. And at that time, Brian was pretty stable at the org. He mm -hmm. was co-auditing with someone. That's right. And he was on course a couple of times a week. And, um, and when we started dating, I didn't know anything about Scientology. Um, in fact, I tended, as I think a lot of people do, to confuse it with Christian science. Mm -hmm. And um, I did... You know, I, I didn't even do any research. I just thought, well, okay, it's another kind of funky alternative religion, which I belong to, and so I didn't see a problem with that. Um, there were a couple of small red flags along the way. Um, he said to me once he wasn't allowed 
to look at anything about Scientology once, only once, and we were together for seven years. So only once did he say that. And, um, and then he backpedaled. When mm. I think my eyebrows probably hit the ceiling, and yeah. he was like, "I mean, I, I, I choose <laughs> to not look at anything." Um, and I remember kind of having some pause about that. And then in 2012, um, he was going to leave me because I was evil, because I made one comment at an event. Um, remember when the or moved, they were in that interim space in that bank building, and yes. we went to an event and somebody got up there and spoke and said, don't we wish the whole world was Scientologists? And I was thinking like, oh, hell no. <laughs> like, I don't wish the whole world was anything. Um, and I said to him at the end of the event, you know, all the exploding volcanoes and the twirling dials and whatever on the screen, I said, I, um, you know, y'all are kind of crazy. And I said, but, but I think that about my own religion, too. So I made a joke of it. And he, I think he just turned that around. He probably went and talked to somebody at the org, you know, whoever was OSA, DSA at the time at the org, and then um, was leaving me because I was evil. Um, and I had to do a lot of talking about how, you know, that was a joke and you know, if you really think I'm evil, like, did you wake up one day and think I'm going to murder children? You know, you know me. I'm not an evil person. And then that kind of all slid into the background. And then Going Clear, the book came out. Lawrence Wright's book. Yeah. Exactly. And there was, in fact, there was a lot of talk about it at this conference. Um, oh, the year that, that, it, year that it came the out. The year that it came out, okay. yes. And, and shortly... Right around that time, he got a call from the org to write a review, to go online. Someone had written a thing about this book. He should go online and say it's all the same old lies. It's bigotry. It's all been debunked before. They're just replaying all of this old stuff. Now, of course, he was told to do this, but not actually read the book. Right. Yeah. And I said... Have you read the book? And he was like, oh, no. I said, well, have you read anything about the book? Oh, no. Right. And I said, let's look that up. And he, like, he like hightailed it to the basement. <laughs> oh, no. No, I can't do that. look at anything. Right. That. And I said, you, I don't care if you write a bad review. But you can't write a bad review without reading the book. I mean, that's like cheating on your third grade book report. You can't do that. Right. And, um, he didn't even read the Cliff's notes. No, right. Wasn't allowed to, wasn't, didn't say he wasn't allowed to read the Cliff notes, but it was pretty clear. Yeah. Like panicked. And I was furious. I, he wrote this review and I was furious about it. And I found out years later that someone told him that I went online afterwards and said, my boyfriend wrote this review and it wasn't true, and, which I never did. That was the same. That was the same DSA person, of course, who told him that. Of course, which I never did. But when I found that out, I said, "So help me understand this. You're writing a review that's basically a lie that says you've read this book that you haven't read, and that's okay. But but I supposedly went online and told the truth that you lied, and that makes me the bad guy. Help me understand that. And of course, he had no answer. Right." 
So there were red flags along the way, and that being the biggest one for me. Yeah. So about that time, then I joined the Ex Scientology message board. Okay. Um, where I still have an account, I post now updates of my blog when I publish it on there. And um, and of course, he didn't know that you. Oh no! This. Oh, nobody did. No, okay. I. Well, you went on there anonymously. Anonymously, and yeah. and I suppose the church maybe figured it out at some time. I don't know, and I don't care now. Yeah. Um, but it never came up. You know, it never came up anywhere. But at, when I joined, then I started reading, not just, not just the money things, which had been another thing that kind of gave me some, some pause, mm -hmm. because you probably don't know this, but like in the Wiccan community, we can't charge for training. Like if you were my student, I, I did not know that. I could not charge you for training. It is it is forbidden. Now people have bent the rules a little bit to like cover the cost of copying materials. If I was going to make a bunch of handouts for a class of 10 people, I might say, "Hey, could you buy me some printer ink or kick in a couple bucks?" Oh. But no, we can't charge for training. Is that a some sort that's, of a That's a Wicca wide thing. That's not a legal. No, no, no. Thing. No, that's no, just no. A, that's sort of just a, right. how we run ourselves. Right, exactly. Okay. Exactly. And that's I mean you might maybe as my student bring dinner the night of class or toss a couple apples in my refrigerator, but I can't say to you here's the charge for this class. Okay. There's no suggested donations. There is no suggested donations. Correct. Chocolate is always a suggested <laughs> right. donation in my house. Okay. I'm okay. not going to lie about that one. <laughs> right, right. Okay. okay. Right. So when I, you know, a little bit from Brian, but more from reading, realized the money things, I mean, that's horrifying to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know any church that charges for training or for sacraments. You know, if, mm -hmm. if we could call auditing a sacramental thing, who charges for sacraments? The Catholic Church in the Middle Ages, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you have indulgences. Right, but we but don't. But they don't charge for that anymore. Right. And that's yeah. Right, right. That was right. voluntary. Nobody pays the the priest to go administer a confessional. Right. 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 So. Um, in Scientology, it can cost up to a thousand, thousands, two thousand dollars per hour. Oh, right. Oh, right. 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 And I had been at some fundraisers where I saw people give a half a million or a million dollars at a time and make comments that, wow, this hurts a little bit on top of the million that I gave last month. So that to me was, were, were red flags. Um, I would imagine it must have felt a little Twilight Zone-ish. Yeah. Like, what have I gotten? What is this really yes. all about? Yes, and the language. I started noticing the language right away. Now, you mean the, the, the bad language that most Scientologists use or the specialized language of Scientology? I, well, the pagans use the bad language, too. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think that was going to be the issue, but that I just, never I just wanted to be clarify. Because right. I've, I've had former Scientologists <laughs> on this show, and they are total potty mouths. And so... Sometimes I'll get. Oh, I don't have that. to be good. <laughs> no, you do. This is not a family friendly show. Scientology is not family friendly. No, it is no. really not. No. No, um, no the, the, the specialized language. The specialized language, but not, not just the jargon, because everybody has their jargons and their acronyms. Scientology might be the world leader in that, but 
Everybody's got that. Mm -hmm. But the changing the meaning of words, for a while on my computer, I kept like this Word document in a folder and a folder and a folder and a folder buried so it would never be found about the words that Scientology changed or perverted. And I remember saying to a friend at the time, I think they do that to confuse their members, having no idea that that was probably really the case. I didn't know. It was funny. Mm -hmm. so, it, it, it's actually even more insidious than that as far as I'm concerned. And from a cult control point of view, language yes. manipulation is a destructive cult tactic. Yes, yes. And uh, because what happens is language alters and or modifies um, thought process. And right. so by, by bringing in not only specialized words, but what those words signify, you limit and control the boundaries of how a person thinks about things. Mm -hmm. And that is, that, and over years, mm -hmm. that literally grooves in thought processes neurologically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, it, so it is actually even worse than you thought. But, um, but that was really good on picking up on that. Scientology, always, always worse, worse than, than you thought. <laughs> yes. That's right. right. Yeah, very early on, very early on. And in fact, it, I mean, there are words that I never use. I never say the word handle. Ever. <laughs> you know? and to this day, I still find myself using that word. <laughs> well, but remember that I worked for, um, I worked for doctors who had done some of the wise or the able, whichever training. So those words were kind of in the work atmosphere too. Like, like yeah. it just, I can't hear it again. And and I would say to Brian over the years, pick a different word. Yeah, because you're gonna you're gonna handle someone. Right. Means you you know you not manhandle, but but you're going to handle. You're gonna in some way they have an issue or a problem, and you're gonna deal with that and uh, and deal with it in such a way that it never ever comes up again. And in Scientology, that means you're going to handle them. Or a situation. Or a situation. Yes. That's right. 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 So I used to get that at work all the time. Yep. I thought this was handled. <laughs> And I would say, you mean dealt with? <laughs> Always the heretic. That's right. That's right. So, um, so those... You were learning all this new and amazing right. information about... About the person that I was living with. And, yeah. and wondering, you know, and thinking that it affected my life on the surface. You know, so it was about time... Mm -hmm. Prioritizing time, um, you know, are you going to blow off this family thing to go to an event or um, how we handled money? Although for us until the last year, that wasn't a big deal because Brian, you know, our money was separate and however, like as long as you pay your bills, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do with the rest of it. So as you mentioned, he was on course, but not where he was spending thousands of dollars. That's right. Right. Oh, I should probably mention for anybody who doesn't know, the Scientology counseling, or what they call auditing, that's the really super expensive stuff. Uh, some Scientology courses can run into the thousands mm -hmm. of dollars for an individual course, but most of them are hundreds of dollars in the beginning level courses, which is mostly what I was able to get Brian onto were less than $100 a pop. And I think he was finishing up the basics. Yes, and yeah. those courses were $75, right. $100 a pop usually. Right. 
you know, maybe one of the bigger ones was like $200. Yes, exactly, exactly. So that wasn't as big of a deal. And he didn't do, you know, before he met me, he gave a significant amount to the ideal org, mm -hmm. um, which I didn't find out about until after he died. I, oh. had, I had no idea. Um, so it was more about the push and pull of priorities and how we manage our lives and that some things were just, you couldn't talk about them. You couldn't say, I think this thing that's happening at your church is a little wonky. Like, I'm concerned about this. Those were the things that concerned me to start with. Well, sure, because you learned the lesson early on. Oh, yeah. You can't talk negatively about this or he's literally going to leave right. you. Right, right, with no discussion, no like I'm concerned about this thing that you said, could we, was it a misunderstanding? It was right. just, we're out of here. And I really do believe there was influence from the church on that. Oh, oh, I can guarantee there yeah. was influence from the church on yeah. that. But it's an interesting and necessary and important point to make because Scientology positions themselves as the family friendly, right. you know, in communication, Communication is the universal solvent. It will dissolve all issues and problems. You can handle anything with communication. And as a Scientologist mm -hmm. and Sea Org member, I, that was my, yeah. one of my core beliefs as a Scientologist. And yet, here's a prime example. Right, of you don't. You don't. Yeah. Right. And, you know, at the same time, you don't know if that's a personal thing or if that's a thing coming from the church. You know, but yeah. it became clear as time went on that, like, you could talk about any of these topics, but then you get here and there's, like, nothing. There's, right. n there's no, it's not available. It's, it's not on the table. So that was 2012, 2013. Um, we got married in 2014. Um, the chaplain at the Twin Cities Org co-officiated our wedding with um, a pagan priestess. Which blew me away when yeah. I learned that. That was that is very unusual for Scientologists yes, to, yes. to to bend over backwards like that to do to accommodate a a different belief system. You know, and I wonder in retrospect, and maybe you can speak to this, did they think they were gonna get money from me? I am absolutely positive, mm -hmm. I mean without any question, that it was on the agenda to convert you. Mm -hmm. to, to actually mm -hmm. make you a science Well, you tried. I, <laughs> I did. Aren't you glad you're not trying to get me out now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because when you knew me at the time, I was a Sea Org member. You were very totally earnest. Dedicated. I was very earnest. You're very yes. earnest, yes. And I, and I, because I really did, it, it, despite the problems and issues I had with the organization, which I have laid out in detail on my channel, I truly believed in the subject matter. And I truly believed in the purpose of our mission. And that's the person you met. Yes. You know, yes. was that guy. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so then when you got out and I contacted you and said, hey, we've met. <laughs> <laughs> and I remembered. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, and, and I don't know that I've ever told you this story. Here's a little... <laughs> So when we, so I messaged you and then we agreed to meet for lunch somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so. Oh, that's right. Because I had moved back to, that's right. You we were, met at, you we were met at Applebee's or, or something, something like that. Yeah, because right. I had, 
was living here. Right. I moved back here to Minnesota. That's right. So I like got there early because I didn't know. Like maybe, maybe you're like undercover, trying to look like a good guy, still the bad guy, right? Yeah. So I got there early. I watched you get out of your car to make sure you weren't with anybody else. You weren't like carrying your recording equipment with you. <laughs> And I was pretty cagey for a, for a while, you know, about, I think it was like halfway through a lunch that was a couple of hours mm -hmm. that, that you finally said, okay, really, which side, which member are you dating? <laughs> because I wouldn't tell you at first mm -hmm. because I was so concerned after, you know, what had happened that it would come back and haunt me and, you know. That's right. Yes. Now, conversely. Yes. <laughs> I was just as paranoid in that. Oh, weekend. I had no idea. Absolutely. Oh, that's because funny. I had come right. out. Yes, of course. I was speaking out about the church. Sure. And now here's somebody reaching out to me who had been connected to the church, right? Who was connected to the right. church through Brian. Right. And now wants to, you know, meet with me to, you know, get my help. Like this could be a total setup <laughs> to find out who I am, um. what I'm about. Who else do I know? Because when, when Scientology goes after somebody, the first thing they want to do is find out all mm -hmm. of that person's connections. Who else are they talking to? What else are they saying? And so I thought that this could be that. So, oh, that's you funny. know, it's so funny from two different angles, Scientology mm -hmm. is creating a kind of paranoia. Right. Right. You know? And it took us hours before we finally went, okay, I think we can trust each other now. <laughs> Cards on the table. That's right. That's funny. I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it makes perfect sense. Well, and more so from your point of view mm -hmm. than mine. I mean, Brian was an illegal pre-clear with no money. Right. Like, you know, why would they? Yeah, he was not a player. No. He was never going to be a player. Right. He was a true believer. He was a yes. good guy. But he wasn't Scientology's true target Right. Public. Right. Right. Not like the people who were giving millions of dollars were suddenly on their way out. That's right. Yeah. I had gone after Brian when I was a Sea Org member and was trying to get people back in the church because he was a warm body to put in a chair. Right. And I, and I really honestly liked him. And the kind of work I was doing was very one-on-one. -on -one. And I couldn't work with people I didn't like. I did blow some people off because they were just kind of jerky people. Brian was never one of those people. No. I always enjoyed talking no. to Brian. No. So in, um, so then you and I became Facebook friends, mm -hmm. right? Kind of under the radar. And to be honest, until probably until Brian got sick, I never saw anything about Scientology on Facebook. I didn't see your posts. I mean, we didn't interact on Facebook. And, mm -hmm. you know, at that point, I probably had five, six, seven hundred Facebook friends that you would see posts about everything. You know, like we talked about yesterday, cat memes and inspirational things was about it. Um, and you were not a heavy, no. avid Facebook user. You no, were now no, 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 no. Cat videos. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. At that point. Um, but when things started 
um, happening with going clear, that which really was the watershed where the media started speaking out um, big time. Big That's time. Right. I mean, it, when it, the documentary it, came right, out. exactly yes. the book, and then the documentary, and then the, it was like the floodgates opened, and I think that then the church started watching a little more who was connected to whom. Um, so in 2015, mm-hmm. early in the year, Brian started the same kind of behaviors he'd had like in 2012 before um, he was going to leave me because I was evil. He would be short and kind of cold. And, and if you knew Brian, Brian was like enthusiastic and engaging and sweet. Everybody liked him. And it was not his personality to be short and cold and snarly. And he started again, like in the spring of 2015. And I would say, you know, what's going on? And he'd say, oh, nothing, nothing. Why are you asking? (laughs) Because you're acting really weird. (laughs) Right, right. through the summer and then into the fall. And then um, and then he said, well, then there was the credit card fraud. Should we talk about the credit card fraud? We can talk about the credit card fraud. Or should fraud. we save that for the book? Yeah. Talk well, about the credit can, card fraud. We can, let's talk briefly about the credit card Okay, fraud. so as we said, Brian had no money, mm-hmm. um, but he really wanted Scientology stuff. and. Unknown to me, a woman from Sea Org Bridge Publications salesperson had been calling him by 2015 for a year and a half. That's right. To sell him things. And he would from, say from Los Angeles. From Los Angeles. And he would say, I don't have any money, I don't have any credit, I don't have anything. And she just kept calling. And in this conversation, a little bit of an emotional relationship, at least on Brian's side, developed. He was talking to her about his illegal PC petition. She was going to set up some uh, at-home of things. He should get his own sauna. She was going to help him with that. Oh, yeah. Year and a half, I had no idea. So then one Saturday, um, we come home. We'd been out for coffee, open the mailbox, take the mail out. There's three credit card bills in his name. Now, Brian had really no credit. He couldn't get a credit card. Um, He had credit cards he had judgments on that he hadn't paid. So I said, what are these? And he said, oh, they're credit card bills. Okay. And he said, well, I just thought it was time I should get a credit card. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the man who could not put anything away went into the house, went somewhere, I didn't pay any attention, and then said, I'm going for a walk. And I could not find. I looked. I'll confess. <laughs> I looked, they were hidden. I've never found them. He may have taken them with him and put them in the trash. Um, So later that afternoon, I said, do we need to talk about some things? Thinking, clearly we need to talk about three credit card bills. And he said, yes, we do. You have a friend on your Facebook page who is the enemy of my church. And I went, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? And he said, 
well, you're friends with Chris Shelton. And I said, yes, I am. <laughs> and he said, he's an enemy of my church. And I said, okay. I said, there's people on my Facebook page who are liberal Democrats, ultra conservative Republicans, Jews, Muslims, pagans, pagan haters. There's people on my Facebook page who hate my religion. Okay? okay. What's your point? Mm -hmm. Well, we can't have that. And I said, here's the deal. Your church doesn't get to tell me who I can be friends with. Good. And he said, oh. I said, they're not censoring me. And then I got out the creed of Scientology. <laughs> Which is perfect because the creed of the Church of Scientology clearly and explicitly states that people should be able to be yes. in communication with anyone and that this is a God-given right to speak freely, talk freely, think freely, and write freely their own opinions and ideas. Right, so Chris can say whatever he wants to say, and I can have whomever I want as a friend. Mm -hmm. So then I said, how about these credit cards? <laughs> <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of speaking freely about things. Right? Well, as it turned out, this woman had convinced him not just to get credit cards, but to give him her, give her his personal social security number, date of birth, financial information, and they applied for the credit cards in his name. One of those cards happened to be Navy Federal, which is for people who are either serving in the military or who are civilians working contract in the military. You have to have a Department of Defense ID in order to have a Navy Federal credit card. Brian had none of those things. He wasn't a veteran, his father wasn't a veteran, I'm not a veteran, and he wasn't doing contract work for the Department of Defense. And I said, this is fraud. And he said, well, then we should call this woman and ask her about it. And I said, I think we should call Navy Federal and ask them about it. Mm -hmm. Well, that went nowhere good. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we did eventually call both. But it just spiraled downward from there. Mm -hmm. um, I was very unhappy. Then it came out that he'd been talking to her for a year and a half. was really unhappy that he was making financial decisions that affected my life with another woman behind my back mm -hmm. that he'd been having this kind of quasi-emotional relationship with for a year and a half. Um, and that went to a really bad place. Then he got called into ethics because I was in communication with you and um, came home. He didn't get called into ethics because he was applying for fraudulent credit card activity. No. He didn't go to ethics because he was engaging in a relationship on a personal emotional level with another woman for a year and a half without telling his wife. He went to ethics because she and I were Facebook friends. And I liked six of your posts over three years. Oh my God. I know. Oh my God. Clearly evil. <laughs> um, so he came home at, screaming at me after being at ethics. And, um, and things got, we never fought. The only thing we ever fought about was, was Scientology. Mm -hmm. And that only very early on. Mm -hmm. um, and um, 
things got really, really bad, and he started to get sick. He, I think he was getting pressure even then, now in retrospect, I think he was getting pressure then to leave me. Oh, absolutely. It yeah. was never, it would, I mean, Brian coming home screaming indicates to me right away yeah. that he's got, right. you know, people on his lines, as they call it in Scientology, right? People talking to him from the church. Right. Because this woman in L.A. also did not stop. No, she kept she calling. She was persisting. She kept calling until I, here's the bad language. I called her finally and I said, here's the deal, chicky poo. Mm -hmm. I have two rules in my life. You don't fuck with my family. And you don't fuck with my money. You can do pretty much anything else. But you do those two things, it's on, it's ugly, and I will win. So you back the fuck off and pretend my family doesn't exist. And what was her response? I'm, 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 so, I, you know, I only, I only meant, I, I mean, I didn't mean any harm. I don't care. I don't care what you meant. This ends today. She still didn't stop. She had someone else call, mm -hmm. and then people sent letters. Mm. I probably still have them. People sent letters that said, Dear Brian, I'm so sorry there was an upset in your home. I'm like, oh, yeah, there was an upset. Mm -hmm. And so all of that happened over that fall as well. So this constant push-pull, Ugliness never stopped, never stopped. And um, he was distraught most of the time. He wasn't eating well. Um, he started to hurt all over. Mm -hmm. Oh, I imagine the stress on Yeah, exactly. Intense. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. yeah, the increased cortisol and inflammation levels. He just hurt all over. And, um, and then... And then you pointed me to John Atack. Mm. And he and I had a conversation. I don't know if you know that. Mm -hmm. He and I had a conversation. I did not know that you guys had a conversation. Mm -hmm. He was exceptionally kind and helpful. As is John's right? nature. Yes, right, right. And he's been on this podcast numerous times. Yes, yes, yeah. very enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. And um, he suggested that I go talk to the org locally, and I did. And I said, you know, we were Facebook friends, you know, liked or whatever. It probably didn't make any difference, but I made the effort. And it made a difference to Brian that I had okay. done that. So you actually went into the church? I did not go into the church. You called them? I called them and, okay. and again, met them at a public place. <laughs> oh, yeah, they wouldn't meet in the church. Yeah, yeah. no, no, I wasn't yeah. going in there. That wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Well, and my children, frankly, my children were afraid that if I went into the church, I would never be seen again. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. My children are still a little afraid of that. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so I met with them, and then they said, well, maybe you should do some marriage courses. Oh, God, I remember. That's right. I forgot mm -hmm. all about this. Yeah. And I said, I would do that, but not in Twin Cities. Mm -hmm. So we went to Nashville, and we did not do the marriage course because they said I had to go on the cans and take the little pre-course thing. Are you connected to anybody who's contrary to Scientology? And all I'm thinking is, 
how long of a list should I make? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. you had been doing your research oh, you yes. on X Scientology message board. Right, and you were talking to you, talk and then to I talked to John Atag. Yeah. Right, just, you know. Um, all uh, the SPs. All the SPs, <laughs> just name them, right? I had yeah. been in communication with Marty Rathbun, who was very kind and helpful to me at that time. Wow. Yes, we had corresponded briefly. I don't think I knew that either. You probably didn't know that. No, right? I did not. No. So, um, so we went to Nashville. We sat in the chaplain's office with a man there who was exceptionally kind and who kind of backed me up on a lot of things that had happened, said the credit card thing shouldn't have happened, the stuff with you probably, you know, maybe you want to not be friends, but like they shouldn't have done, yeah. Um, sent us home and said, fix your marriage, Brian. It's the most important thing you can do. Wow. Mm-hmm. An, an amazingly uncharacteristic activity yes. for Scientology. Well, and I believe that person is Osa. Well, he is. And yes. that person you spoke with actually was originally from Twin yeah, Cities. Right, which is how Brian knew him. That's right. 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 Um, very, very kind. Um, and I have, well, maybe I won't tell you my suspicions. <laughs> So um, came home. It was our first anniversary. We have a big party every year at Thanksgiving. This was Thanksgiving. I didn't know if I was going to be celebrating my first anniversary with my husband or if he was going to leave me. Um, Came home, had this big party, stood in a big circle and talked about what we were thankful for that year. We had about 45 people at our house. Um, I think that Brian looked around that circle and realized all of the things that he had previously been thankful for that he was giving up to stay with me. His friends, um, he wasn't going to be able to go back to the Oregon course if he stayed with me. Um, so, so Nashville, this guy at Nashville mm-hmm. had said, go fix your marriage. Go fix your marriage. But the Twin Cities guys were not letting up and were not relenting on... You can't come back. Like, you can come to events, but you're not welcome on course. Right. right. You could no longer do services. Right. Even the $50 ones. Right. Exactly. Like, nope. Exactly. And, and he had said, you know, when we left Nashville, he had said, I'm okay with that. But I really believe that he looked around that day and like previously his Scientology friends would come for Thanksgiving. They had been there the year before for our wedding, remember? Um, and I think it really hit him what he was losing. And about halfway through the day, he said to me, I feel like crap. He said, I just, I hurt everywhere. I feel terrible. And I said, a friend of ours who is a chiropractor was there, I said, go upstairs, we'll put the massage table down, have Karen adjust you, take a nap, whatever, and um, see how you feel. Brian went upstairs. The man that I knew never came back. He came downstairs feeling terrible, fuzzy, the depression kept getting worse. He, over Christmas, um, you know, he, he just sat in a chair. He just sat in a chair and didn't move. And I was working 50 hours a week at that time. So I'd say, hey, I made you lunch. Did you eat it? No, I wasn't hungry. So between Christmas and, say, middle to end of February, he lost about 30 pounds. Wow. And he was not like this big no. guy. No, Brian so was that would have brought him down to yeah, yeah, yeah. And in January, then um, I took him to another chiropractor friend of ours who said, you know, 
here's some things that I'm seeing. I suggest you go get some blood work done, do some stuff. And um, the cancer, he had had, he had had stage one prostate cancer for a number of years, wait and watch, you know, for a man his age. Um, Brian was 71 when he died last year, 64 or five when his cancer was diagnosed. Had always been wait and watched, well controlled, no, okay. no symptoms. He had no prostate symptoms at all. His PSA, the thing that we measure for prostate cancer, which for a man who is 70 should be in the neighborhood of four or five, was 1,000. Whoa. Right. So suddenly it had escalated. It had, it had suddenly become okay. aggressive. Um, now, I just want to comment real fast here just to like really make this clear that you had contacted the Church of Scientology. Mm -hmm. You had cooperated with mm -hmm. their... Mm -hmm. with what they wanted you to do, up to the point of grabbing the cans and, right. you know, you're like, no, I'm not into being a Scientologist, I don't want the personal invasion. And so then had a pleasant conversation and handling with the right. guy in Nashville, had cooperated, and they had sent you off saying, go handle your marriage, and the Twin Cities guys were like, oh, well, you can't really be a Scientologist because of this horrible, awful connection that you right. have. And so that is what triggered this whole thing. But it wasn't that you and he were at loggerheads no. and were fighting and you were demanding he stop Scientology. None no. of that was going on. No. And yet still they were like, nope, you're not good enough. You can't come around. Right. And that had... Well, and just want to make it totally blatantly clear that, that all of this was very unnecessary on the part of right. the church. He was cooperating. He was trying to... He really wanted you know. to figure out and make it work. And during that time between, say, September and February, people here had started disconnecting. So, you know, one of the doctors that I worked with who was a member and a dear friend, like, psh, gone. Mm -hmm. And this is without Brian being formally charged or given any kind of ethics thing or the, the formal church procedures that they go through. He was not a declared suppressive person. That we know of. That yeah, that, we well, don't we don't they, but they we don't know. Him. Right, but we don't know. Well no we do know. Because he would say to me, I wonder what my status is with the church. Right. And I would say, you're living with the evil woman, guessing it's not good. Well there's this there's this whole gray zone right. that happens between being a good Scientologist and being a declared suppressive person. Mm -hmm. And this gray zone is really just completely arbitrary and totally up to the local powers that be or right. whoever powers that be. And so he was already being disconnected or shunned by the community at the behest of the church, obviously. Right. And yet right. The, the, the actual procedures of the church call for a person to be declared a suppressive person. So I guess my only point here is that they weren't even following their own procedures. No. They were just being cruel. Yes, yes, they were being cruel all the way through being yeah. cruel. Um, so, um, so Brian's cancer responded slowly to treatment um, over the course of a year plus, his labs all stabilized. All of the all of the measures that we looked at stabilized. His tumor was shrinking. 
Um, all of that looked really good. But these bizarre symptoms continued. So remember that pre-Scientology days, Brian had psychiatric care. He had, um, he had some pretty extensive family trauma. And he had, before me, I didn't see it, but a history of some pretty dark depressions. Um, and he had had ECT for that, the electric shock therapy, mm -hmm. in the 60s. So that's what made him the illegal preclear that we talked about before. Um, and then when he joined Scientology in 1977, for 40 years, he had no mental health care or support. And not that I think it would have helped. <laughs> okay, really clear about that. He also did not have the kinds of things that the Church of Scientology offered for mental challenges. I don't even know. I mean, we don't call it mental illness in Scientology. Mm -hmm. What do we call it? Spiritual, you're spiritually ill, mm -hmm. which, is, which is a horribly shaming thing to say. So, so that kind of PTSD trauma anxiety mm -hmm. doesn't just go away. And when you live in a cult that uses fear, all cults, I guess, use fear, but when you exist for 40 years in an organization that keeps you there and controlled by using fear as a coercive tactic, it stresses all along those PTSD, trauma, anxiety places. That's right. After he died, his journals almost literally jumped off the shelf at me at home. I would be looking for something and go, what is that? And, and for 40 years, I think I have journals going back to the 60s, probably, 70s, oh, wow. maybe. Oh, pre-Scientology, right. Oh, wow. And they're spotty, you know. Brian was very in the moment. <laughs> and so you'd have 1960 here, and then you'd have 1975 over here, and then there'd be 1964 in a different journal. But, but they all talk about his issues with staying focused, being in present time, being able to relate to time and space, all of them talk about that. So this was a lifelong thing that he hoped to, here's the word, handle by getting more Scientology services. And he would say that in his journals over and over again. If only I could get more Scientology, then, then I could get some traction in life. Mm -hmm. So, so we have that background of a little bit of, I don't want to say instability as in his life wasn't stable or he wasn't able to manage life, but a little bit of instability in the emotional um, spaces where trauma or things that were upsetting would maybe be a little more intense for him than for somebody who didn't have that background. Mm -hmm. So when they called him into ethics because you and I were Facebook friends and he came home screaming at me and then that whole terrible fall and then realizing what he was giving up and then being disconnected you know, by close friends, he broke. Mm -hmm. He just, I mean, I don't have a better word for it. He just fell apart. Well, this had been his real yes. hope for him, and yes. it had been a lifelong thing. He'd been decades, he'd been involved decades, in this. Right, and the petition was such a powerful 
um, emotional thing for him, you know, his, the petition to have... Trying to get okay to get Scientology on Right, just even, he wanted to do the Kirov, you know, just to get that. I mean, it was such a big deal for him. And he was starting to come into some retirement money mm -hmm. that he was going to now spend at the org, and now that wasn't going to happen. So it was like it was almost in his grasp and then yanked away. And being forced to choose between your home and your family and your wife and, you know, all of those things. That's right. Oh, and we should probably just really quickly comment, because we haven't specifically said this for anybody who's never familiar with this before, but uh, Scientology and psychiatry are complete opposites, and Scientology despises and refutes <laughs> everything about psychiatry and psychology and will not allow its members to have anything to do with it. So it wasn't like there was any other viable alternative for right. Brian to turn to in all these years. If, I mean, it just occurred to me, people might wonder, well, why didn't he just go see, get some right. mental health therapy, right. get some other counseling, right. get some social services help? Because Scientology forbid that activity with a hammer. Right, right. So, so and here's, here's the really cruel and and the evil thing is that, you know, Scientology, we have the only technology that will restore you to your godlike abilities. Mm -hmm. And you can't go anywhere else to get it. Mm -hmm. But you, Brian, are so damaged that we can't help you. But you can't leave us to get help elsewhere. Right. You're, you're just trapped in this terrible, cruel space. And then, and then they throw you away. That's right. So, so we went on a cruise in the end of February of 2016, right before his cancer, before we found it was aggressive. And if you've ever traveled anywhere with Brian, he wants to do it all. He wants to go to the museums, and he wants to rent the scooters, and he wants to go scuba diving, and he wants to go to the casino, and he wants to dance all night. And like, I want to stay in the room and read a book. <laughs> Brian sat on the bed in our stateroom like this. And would not respond. Like I would say, what? What? What is this thing? And he, like no words came out of his mouth. And through all of his cancer treatment, they would say, you know, the medical professionals would say, oh, that's the cancer. And I would say, I don't really think prostate cancer does that to you. And they'd say, oh, oh, yes. He's got this little tiny lesion on his brain. And I'd say, okay, but there's, I mean, I've seen the MRIs and we've talked about it. There's no pressure on the brain. No, there's no pressure on the brain. It's, it's not going into gray matter. No, it's not going into gray matter. You think it's causing these symptoms? Well, we don't know what's causing these symptoms. And I asked repeatedly over a year of being in and out of the ER with these symptoms, being hospitalized with these symptoms, to be evaluated by psychiatry. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, that wasn't done because, well, to be honest, both I and his medical providers wanted to be respectful of his beliefs. Um, and then as he just continued to worsen um, and I took over power of attorney, full legal power of attorney, um, 
you know, at some point you have to say, I understand these are your beliefs, but, but we'd like to keep you alive. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I couldn't get a full psychiatric evaluation for him for more than a year. I mean, he was first hospitalized in March of 2016, um, and he died in May of last year. So when we went into the hospital the last time, by that time I had found a psychiatrist for him. Mm -hmm. and, um, and actually I said to the psychiatrist, this looks like catatonia to me. And he went, oh, we don't usually see that clinically. It's very rare. I had no idea. And so he took out this little check sheet and he made some yes, this, that. And he said, oh yeah. He said, you're scoring you know, high enough, Brian's scoring high enough that, that I think you should go to the ER. And I said, okay, well, here's the thing. Every time I go to the ER and I ask for psychiatry, they tell me it's some other thing. He said, I will write you a letter. Mm -hmm. And we went into the ER. They didn't believe me again. They didn't care about the letter. I begged for a week to see the geriatric psychiatrist who specialized in things like Brian had. And um, the day that he died, the first time, because I saw him die twice, um, the geriatric psychiatrist finally came downstairs from the ward upstairs to see me. And she said, what is it you'd like me to know? And I said, here are the things I've been seeing, the not moving, the not talking, the, the strange posturing, the stuff that I've seen. And it comes and goes um, you know, for more than a year. And she said, absolutely. This thing that you've been seeing for more than a year absolutely is catatonia. And if I had seen him as a patient six months ago, three months ago when he was stronger, mm -hmm. I could have forced him by court order to get a treatment, to get treatment in spite of his beliefs. That's how sick he was during all of this time. And this is a real failure on so many parts. It's, it's, yes. I mean, we have the, we, we, without question, we have the Scientology mm -hmm. phobia induction with psychiatry that prevented Brian mm -hmm. from getting psychiatric help right. way early on. No question about that. But this is a medical failure. As well. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is absolutely a medical failure. Yeah. Um, in in so many ways, and I I suspect that this particular doctor realized that at that point. Um, so, the treatment for catatonia is benzodiazepines, mm -hmm. and what they said to me is that if this is really catatonia, benzodiazepines work one hundred percent of the time. Well, that's not true. The research says <laughs> benzodiazepines work seventy percent of the time. Okay. And because of all of the other things that were happening um, with the trauma and the fear, I mean, he had constant fear throughout this. I mean, imagine now you've been kicked out of Scientology and your cancer has exploded and you can't figure out what's going on with your movements. Mm -hmm. um, terrified. He was terrified. Um, so they, they kind of brushed me off on that, but the gold standard for catatonia is ECT, is electric shock therapy, mm -hmm. which 
at that point that I took him into the ER, he probably he probably was too weak. Although that wasn't really the issue. The issue was, did he have healthy enough neurotransmitters in order for the electric shock to kind of reset the brain to do what it needs to be done. So yes, it was it was a failure by by every provider who saw him when you know when you go to the doctor and they have you fill out that sheet the depression scale. Yep. 9 out of 10 every time. Um, and no one said, "Gee, maybe we should be talking to mental health providers." Right. Um, and this is this is where we get failure after failure. I'm sorry, but we just do. It, yes. With the mental health and the multidisciplinary approach to dealing with people. And it's, it, is, it's, it is completely unacceptable. And horrifying. I mean, for me, because I took care of Brian 24-7, you know, a man who is eight inches taller and, and still heavier than I, who had movement problems. So some days he was mostly fine. But there were a lot of days that he had a hard time walking or that he would just be out, just out. Um, and to have no one acknowledge what I was seeing. You know, I wasn't saying I read this thing in Good Housekeeping. Right. You know, I'm reading scientific research papers about dissociation and trauma and um, the effects of trauma on the brain and the effects of anxiety on the ability to move. And now, you know, I'm seeing these things about catatonia that, that fit what I've been seeing for a year and a half and to have the medical profession blow me off. Mm -hmm. And how much of that is due to their fear of, you know, Scientology in his chart. And of course, Leah's show was on at that time. So everybody knew what Scientology was. I mean, I would have nurses pull me aside and say, See your husband as a Scientologist. Is it true? You know, wow. is, is all that stuff true? And wow. I would say, oh yes. So yes, multi, multi-disciplinary yeah. failure. Um, so Brian died a year ago in May. He was here at this conference last year, really sick. Um, he wanted to be here, and he was really sick. Um, so. And a lot of trauma for me through all of this, which I didn't realize, I guess that's why you call it post-traumatic stress disorder, because <laughs> I didn't realize it at the time. But, but when I say 24-7, um, there were days that I didn't get to take a shower or have lunch, um, that I was constantly taking care of the things that he was doing for his cancer care, or taking him to medical appointments, or... Um, just helping him move around the house or trying to keep him moving because he was better if he was up and moving and would deteriorate if he wasn't. Um, and, then, and then when he died, I started having all of these trauma symptoms of, I didn't know what season it was. I had no idea what season it was. Month and date were long gone. But, but even, I'd have to stop and say, oh, it's hot out today. It must be summer. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, short-term memory, I would walk away and leave the refrigerator open, the water running, miss my own doctor's appointments, forget all kinds of things. Um, and started seeing a therapist and then originally started writing 
as my own way to get it out of my head. Um, and I, I, I bet you do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like you, I have used writing to process my whole life. You know, it, yeah. you, you start getting these, well, it's part of the trauma symptoms that stuff chases itself around. It goes in this never ending circle of, I should have, I, I wish I had, why didn't I? Oh, yeah. How did this happen? What, what was that exactly? And so I started writing partly to get that out of my head. And partly, when Brian was sick, I couldn't remember what it was like when he was well. He became someone I didn't know and didn't really like all that much. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't really like who I was. And so part of it was to get it out of my head. But the other part was to reclaim this amazing story that was us. Because we were... Well, you probably didn't know us then, but we were a really cool couple. We did cool things and really enjoyed each other's quirky kind of personalities. Um, we thought similarly, made strange leaps and jumps and, and, um, and enjoyed that. And I lost all of that. I couldn't, I couldn't remember what he was like well. So I started telling those stories. And then I realized that there were a lot of stories to tell, and that telling the story of Brian's illness and, the, and how it was Scientology, had he had good mental health treatment during those 40 years, I, 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 I don't think he would have died of a mental illness. Mm -hmm. If he hadn't had 40 years of being coerced by fear, I don't right. think he would have died of a mental illness. Absolutely. I, mean, I mean, the family trauma obviously was there, but Scientology prevented him from becoming who he could have been otherwise. So I just wanted to take all of those pieces and kind of unravel them and then create this story so that so that this life of this person that I think was an amazing human being didn't just disappear. Mm -hmm. And that this international multi-billion dollar cult maybe has one more nail in its coffin because they shouldn't be allowed to do this to people. Right. And also, there's, there's so many stories, and they're all so important, about people like you, um, like all of the stories that we've heard on Leah's show, all of the stories that we've seen on the Ex-Scientologist message board, all of the stories that we now see on social media of all the people who were members who have been harmed. But it's not just members. I was never a member of Scientology. That's right. And I don't think we can say that Scientology hasn't harmed my life. Scientology has, has taken so much from me, and I was never a member. Exactly. Scientology has taken so much from Brian's children. They were never members. Scientology has taken from every person at this conference who knew him and loved him, which is a fair amount of people. And so, Part of the reason I wanted to tell this story is, is to bring some awareness to not just this cult, 
But how all cults affect this wide circle, this, this web that is greater even than the members who are so harmed. But it, it just keeps rippling outward in, in ways that I don't know that we have any way to measure. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. I guess we could call it the collateral damage. Right. Of, of these cults, and it is hardly ever remarked on. Right. You know, we, we focus on the stories of the victims. We, start, we focus right. on the damage that's done directly to members who don't see it coming, never asked for it, but right. it is not just them. Right, exactly. Yeah. So my house is pretty quiet. <laughs> you know, I bought this house. I bought this house for me and Brian. He was there through every step of it, purchasing it and making it what it is. And it's pretty quiet. And he's in every part of it. And I miss him every day. Thank you. Okay. So, um... So I'm writing a book. Yeah, you are. <laughs> 126,000 words today. <laughs> um, and it's called From Wench to Widow. And the story of that is in the book. Okay. There's a lot of good stories in there. A lot of, a lot of telling of the good things. Um, and I have a blog, <sighs> accidentally, I guess. <laughs> yeah, this all just sort of organically grew. Yeah, I it mean, did. You know, um, and, and it, it says a lot about the power of, of writing and the catharsis of that, yeah. you know, that, that you were able. Because <laughs> a year ago, this, you know, this wasn't where wow, you Wow, no. You know? No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. No. And, and I understand that process. Yeah. Yeah. So now my Joan of Arc complex. <laughs> you know, what's mightier, the pen or the sword? Mm -hmm. In this day and age, it might be the laptop. And um, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to tell the story. Good. Good. Well, I'm going to um, put a link to your blog. Oh, you yes. Know, thank obviously you. Obviously, on the podcast here. Sure. It's in the description section on YouTube here and on my podcast uh, website. Um, and if you're at all curious about the full story of that and what this is all about, you can check that out. Uh, I encourage you to do so because this is a story that is worth knowing and worth spreading and worth remembering. And uh, as are really the stories of all of the victims yes. of these groups. Yes. Uh, this is, you know, I wanted to get this out there. And uh, because I feel that this is important as well as personally <laughs> important. Right. And, uh, you know, we've, we've had, you know, many talks and we've, we've you know, we've, right. I, I've been kind of part of this story and I, and I have expressed before and I will again express, you know, I don't have any words for how sorry I am for having been part of that picture before I left. Sure. You know, and... And I, I didn't get him in. I didn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not responsible for Brian being a Scientologist, but I am responsible for my part of wrangling him in or contributing to that. And, and this is one of those sure. times when it's just 
heartbreaking to have been part of something like that, you know, and this is one of the reasons why I do what I do now. Sure. You know, to try to... Right. You know, and to be fair, Brian was a true believer. He, and I, I didn't realize how much, maybe I still don't realize how much he was a true believer. Um, He was. So had it not been you, he would have found his way. He would have circled back over and over again. Yeah. Um, Yeah, he he wasn't one of those people I had to go knock on the door and drag by the hair. He was... He was more than happy. To, I mean, it wasn't... He was probably happy you, know, you came calling. Yeah. It yeah. was one of those kind of things. Yeah, exactly. And I was also... I will just contribute this last little bit because I feel, for me, this is important, too, that I got a chance to talk to him at the very end. Yes. <laughs> I yes. didn't think I was going to lose it like this. <laughs> um, and he and I kind of got to reconcile on... You know, him thinking I was the devil incarnate because I had gone against the church and spoken out about it. And he watched my videos and he <laughs> read some of my work as in the later part of his life and came around yeah. to seeing that Scientology was not the cat's meow and the thing that he had, had that was, the, you know, the solution to all of his problems. He did come around to seeing that at the end. And I was so happy to have gotten a chance to have had a conversation with him. I was just on the phone, but it was it was an important one. I, I feel for me and for him, and um, and and you know you had set that up and that was his last really lucid day. Wow. Um, that must have been very end of April, mm-hmm. so about a month before he died, um, and he had some some good. A few good moments after that, but that was his last really lucid day. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he had he had come to see that he, it was yeah. not what he had thought yeah. it had been all that time. So it, it's a small thing, really, in the yeah. end, but it was something. I I'm glad that he didn't die, thinking that. Believing, believing the lies and the fears and the phobias that if you haven't got on the bridge in this lifetime, that you are maybe doomed to something terrible. That's right. I'm really happy that if he wasn't going to live any longer, that he didn't leave believing that. Right. Yes. And as am I. Yeah. Yeah. If, if there was any little bit of comfort we can get out of. Right. You know, the end of his life, it was at least that he didn't die feeling a total failure. Right. Because of what Scientology's indoctrination, you, you know, the work we did, the work you really did to spring him from those mind traps. Yeah. Was effective. Yeah. You know, to that degree. (sighs) Okay. Um, I'm sure there's all kinds of lessons here, but really this is just a story of one person and, and yeah. the people that he touched and, and, uh, and the work that you've done to make that known. So. Well, and I want to say that I like called and well, maybe I shouldn't because maybe more people will know, <laughs> but I would, I would write these long emails to you about what was happening and you were unfailingly 
kind and helpful. And yeah, that's the least I could do. really appreciated. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I was more than happy to help. Yeah. Uh, okay, folks. Well, well, thank you. Thank you very much for sharing this story. Thank you. And sharing this bits of yourself here. Um, yeah, this is a lot more emotional than I thought it was going to be. Um, okay, folks, well, that is the story for this week. Thank you very much for tuning in and watching and being part of this. And uh, said, please uh, realize that this is not just some Scientology thing. This, you know, the, there are stories like this with every destructive cult out there. This is why we call them destructive cults, because they destroy things. I wish I had a more upbeat ending for this, but you know. I have an upbeat ending. Okay. One moment. <laughs> Come here. This is Pi. All right, Pi, say goodbye to everybody today. <laughs> You'll see him on the blog and on my Twitter. <laughs> and life does, life does go on. Life does and, go on. Uh, and to the degree that we can be effective and in getting other people aware of this stuff and getting them out of it, we're doing something about it. All right, folks, leave any comments uh, that you have about this or feedback or whatever in the comment section below. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.